From KLCC Media, this is the Oregon Grapevine. I'm Barbara Dellenbach. The Oregon Grapevine highlights fresh-pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live. Nancy Pobans is an artist working in the collaborative space between science and art. Thank you so much for coming on the Oregon Grapevine. Thank you. We'll start with the archaeological dig you're working on in southeastern Oregon. What is that dig, and how are you as an artist involved in an archaeological dig? It is called Rimrock Draw Rock Shelter, and it's a collaboration between the University of Oregon and uh, the BLM in Burns because it's on BLM property. So my role as artist in residence is to do, I don't do renderings of the artifacts. I do whatever work works for me. And my work is to do blind contour drawings of uh, the, the crew working or the landscape or the site. And I typically use my pigments to rub into the drawings after the drawing is made. And I make watercolor paints, but just use those for emphasis. Like if I'm drawing a shrub with berries, I'll use my pigment uh, paint for emphasis on the berries. It's more intense. So the rubbing, I really like the rubbing of the pigment into the paper. I worked with my watercolor paints and acrylic paints that I've mixed with my pigments. But the rubbing into the paper is just um, velvety and mag- and it's direct. It's my. It's not a brush on the paper. It's my fingers on the paper, which I really like. Let's back up for just a moment. How did this come about? That that this archaeological dig was taking place, and usually they're trying to find out information. So how did it occur to someone that oh, some of the information we want has to really do with the dirt and the mm-hmm. substance in the rock? Mm-hmm. I met. Patrick O'Grady at the U of O Museum of Natural and Cultural History because I'd asked them if I could uh, have access to the skulls of birds and mammals of southeastern Oregon, which is where my work has always been about. I grew up in eastern Oregon, far east, in Ontario. Um, so I they put me in touch with Pat because he has a lab of, he studies bones. He has a lab full of um, skulls and of all kinds of animals. So I went to meet him, and we connected right away, and he asked me if I wanted to draw there or in my studio. And I said, well, if it's not a problem, I'd love to draw in your lab. And he loved that, and I loved that, and he would observe my process, and I loved hearing about his process. So then in the summer of 2016, I was visiting the site, and he was giving a talk, and at the end he said, you know, all we need is an artist in residence. And I just was, yeah. He wasn't looking for one, but because of our connection, that's what made it happen. And how does that collaboration bring them more information, and how is what they're doing kind of bring you more information? How does, how, why do we care? Why do you care? Good point. Um, the students that are on, that make up the crew, 
they are studying science, so a lot of them don't know about drawing, but a lot of them do. And so I show them, I demonstrate my process, and then they experiment with the paints that they make. And last summer, there were, there were five um, students that already draw and paint. So they were especially fascinated to, to work with the pigments in that way. And the other side of this is that uh, typically pigments are not a large part of a dig, or any, maybe even no part of the dig. So I show them that there's color all around. Usually it's thought that they come from some other place or some magical location. And I'm, I'm hiking or driving and see road cuts and see color, and that's where I gather it. Um, so the students are very interested, as well as the sci many scientists visit the dig. And there was one geoarchaeologist, geologist, internationally known, I showed him this box of 60 um, sediments, or pigments really, that I'd ground and put in vials. And he looked at it and said he'd never seen anything like this. And we sat and talked about the colors, and he told me about what caused the colors or what created the colors, what minerals, and minerals interacting with each other. So that was just fascinating and um, eye-opening for me, because I'm not a geologist. This is a very innovative project and something that you all are doing. Is it spreading other places? Are there other digs, artist, science collaborations going on that you, of which you are aware? No. Mm -mm. And the difference between my use of pigments and maybe other people's use of pigments is that they're about place. So if I go, I typically go to, the, to southeastern Oregon, one place or another, and stay there for maybe 10 days, and gather pigments, and then my work then is about that place. So where I gather them is very important to, to what I'm drawing and representing in my work. In the kind of community of artists and community of pigments and so on, it seems to me it would be tempting to walk down High Street and say, oh, wow, you know, I want to do this those trees or the, that dirt or that stone. Is that kind of going on in a more broad-based place? You are an expert in, in Eastern Oregon. Are there other parts of the pigment community that are doing other places similarly? Not, well, my impression is that most people who gather pigments are making collections and maybe making, like Tilka Elkins uh, uses it to make artwork as well as educate other people about pigments from around the world. But I don't know, and I could very well be wrong, about other people using them for the place where they found, found them. How did you come to it? Did you just one day kind of see a rock and it grounded up, or what brought you to it? I um, took a trip from Eugene, where I live now, to Ontario, where I grew up, and Collected color, I don't know what instigated this to make paints. To, no, not, not even make paints. I just wanted to collect color from southeastern Oregon. So I drove from Eugene to Ontario, and just it took me two days to t stop and take photographs, pick up color. I just didn't appreciate it when I was growing up. When I got back to Eugene, I was going to 
match those colors and mix paints. And then, you know, historically, they've done it, you know, for hundreds of years until now because synthetic ones are so popular. Um, and then I thought, I'm not going to match these. That I'll just grind them up and make my own. So that's, that was in about 96, 1996, 97. Besides the archaeological work that you're doing, are you, what are the art pieces that you're creating? You're, are you painting wall pieces? Are you making fabric? Where, where does your art go besides helping this archaeological dig? Actually, I don't get paid to be out there. My payment is, or compensation, is to have an exhibit and sell my work. So they're, they are wall pieces for the most part. I might play with other things, but when I, d when I have a show, I exhibit the wall pieces. So they're drawings with the pigment added, drawings with uh, pencil. Uh, graphite is from the earth, not that I collect it. I wouldn't know where to collect it. It's a very simple concept where I draw without, blind contour drawing is looking at the object, but not looking at the paper. And I've, so I'm looking at the crew and drawing them. The, the issue with them is they move around a lot. <laughs> so I have a lot of drawings, which is fine, of, that are part of them. I start then with the most important lines, and then if they leave, at least I have a suggestion. And I, I like the blind contour drawing because it distorts the image, and it, it that distortion often reveals character about that person. Are your drawings then part of the historical record of that dig? Yes. Yes, it's important for me to be out there the first summer. I mean, yeah, the first summer. First four summers I camped with the crew. So it's, it's completely off the grid and rugged living. And whatever the weather is, it's inside the tent or the trailer. I did have a camping trailer towards the end because I'm the oldest person out there. But then I got heat exhaustion, and so I've had to stay. I stayed with friends, and then this last summer I rented a little cottage, and I, I've had heat exhaustion about eight times. I, I just cannot go this summer, which is disappointing, but I have to figure it out. Are there other people who are kind of following in your footsteps in terms of, of this kind of project? I know you said there isn't necessarily other, there aren't necessarily other digs yet where this collaboration between art and science is happening. But do you see this growing in terms of someone going, oh, I really, I'm interested in that. I want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Well, right now I'm working with um, the geology, the new geology professor at Ling Community College. Because of this huge collection that I'm cataloging, it, if I can do two, maybe three a day, that's a good day. So I need help. So I went to him to see if work study or independent studies, and he's very excited about it, about working together. So I'll demonstrate in a class, really explain it, and then have them start just in their lab learn the process, and out of that maybe we can capture somebody to come and, and help me out. How does it work? You you see a rock, and, and how does the rock become this vial of color? I Out in the field, if I see a, a rock with color or even sediment, 
I'll take it and draw it on a, just draw a line on a harder rock. And if it leaves color, that's a good possibility. If it just scratches that other rock, I don't take it. Um, and um, sometimes they don't turn out to be good color. Sometimes they are so hard that I can't imagine that I'll be able to grind it down to a powder. But generally, they, they do. And they're all different hardnesses. So sometimes it's chalky. That's very easy. And sometimes it's really very hard rock. And then do you add these pigments, these these dusts, these substances to water to use them in art pieces? You, I could. I But when I just rub them, it's... It's really um, dry pastels, and so then I just rub them into the paper. And I seal them with a, a, a wax medium because I also a spray fixative first and then a wax medium to really seal them so that the pigment will never fall off. And that um, gives it a nice finish as well. So you asked, um, how do I get it from rock to powder? I have mortars and pestles of different sizes, and so I just pound them and then sift them, and whatever comes out of the sifter, I put onto marble, a, a sheet of marble or a sheet of glass, and I have a tool called a glass muller that has a flat bottom. It's round on the bottom and flat, and I just... Um, put it over the powder and circular motions, it reduces it to a powder. And then the next step, if I wanted to make paints, I would use that to um, really force the water into the, the pigment and then add the medium, like gum Arabic for watercolor paints or acrylic medium, and then grind, really grind that for a long time to make it into a paint. Before you found pigments and and color, what was were you an artist? Did you what 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 did you do in your life that kind of led you eventually there? Well, I grew up in a family that um, you know in the fifties and sixties we did not have a television, and my mother was one to encourage us to always be making something. Plus, she would take my brothers. I have four siblings, and. I would go out, I can't remember who else would go out with her to dig clay, because she did ceramics. So we went locally and dug clay for her work. And I didn't associate that with this until I got into it. And then something I really put into the back of my mind was that my dad went to a conference in Western Oregon, driving back on Highway 20, which is long and straight, he was alone and a little bored, so he just started stopping and picking up color and putting them in a little vials. Unfortunately, he gave them to, well, first he gave them to a painting instructor at the, the community college in Ontario, and I contacted him recently, and he said, I have no idea where it is. So that was when I was, a, a, you know, less than 10 maybe that he was doing this, and so I completely forgot about it. But then, after a while, I realized that that was in the back of my mind. There are many colors that you find. Is there a color that you've been unable to find? Yes. It's a blue, a true blue, robin's egg blue, sky blue. I have turquoise. 
that are very close to blues, but um, that's the one I haven't been able to find in southeastern Oregon. It does exist in the world. Okay, I was going to ask. It exists somewhere, but you haven't been able to find it here. That's right. (laughs) Maybe you have to take a trip to wherever it is, Nancy. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Also, southeastern Oregon is a huge area, so I keep going, and, and we go different places, and maybe I'll find it someday. The Painted Hills, of course, well known to everybody. Mm-hmm. Is that also a place that you have stopped and kind of gathered some of the pigments there? Because I would think you would find things maybe there you don't find other places. Not really. Um, and also, you, it's not allowed to collect within a designated park or national park. But, you know, at the at the borders, it still continues. So I just go outside the borders and find color. But I don't consider the Painted Hills part of southeastern Oregon, so they're not in these collections. Mm-hmm. A little too far north. Yeah. <laughs> what gives you inspiration to keep doing this? Wow. I just love it so much. I've, I've really always made my as many of my supplies as I can. I started out as an adult making paper, then that led to making books, and then that led to making boxes, and um, then I really wanted to incorporate drawing. First, I was in fiber arts in, in college and graduate school. My work does morph over time. If I get tired of this, I'll, I'll morph into something else, but I love the d- drawing. I love that style of drawing. And, and then the, the pigments add so much. If anything, my style of drawing changes, but the, the pigments... Are this, you know they're they're the same, based on place. In this world of reusing things and sustainability and conversations about the environment, do you find that interface happening? Those conversations happening? I'm going. You mentioned synthetics earlier. Why use synthetic brown when you can do these other things? Do you find that people are coming around to that and realizing that's important? Possibly some some people, or a lot of people, but they don't. It's a it's a time consuming process. So painting is a time consuming process. You have to just you know pick your battles. What you I, I somebody asked why I didn't do quilting, and I said it's so time consuming. And they said, and your work is not. It's you know it just depends on your interest. But I grew up with a mom who was recycling before that was a term, and she would send us to the grocery store with a grocery bag and we'd say, Mom, they have grocery bags there. It was that kind of thing. So I I kind of really have that in my system of, um, or in my, just in my genes of making what you can for your work. Do you have thoughts about not just the collaboration between this particular project of art and science, but the more a broader term of kind of how art and science might help each other out or conversations around that collaboration? You know, I think it's really the relationship between the two individuals or the number of individuals. There has to be passion, at least in, in my my thinking, um, between the individuals I suppose it it can be another way. 
but the passion of what each party brings to it would really make things click. It wouldn't be forced. When you, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm, this is hypothetical, and I'm assuming this, and and maybe this isn't true, but it would seem to me that here's an here's an archaeological student or a person on a dig who's a younger person who's never seen anything like what here's this woman who shows up and starts making pigments. Has that drawn into some interesting conversations of them going, oh wow, what, yes. what's that? Yes, and they want to learn about it, and they want, and I usually always do a demonstration when I can. And and so they learn the whole process. They can leave doing it. And some of them, I don't know how many of them go on and, and do it, but they're, at least their eyes are open. The other thing that comes from gathering these, these collars is that several people have come up to me and say, I drive that highway a lot, and now I see color, and I didn't before I saw your work. And that pleases me to no end, yeah. Anything you want to add here that we haven't kind of touched on about your work or where maybe where people can see it or just what people might want to know? My work is shown at White Lotus Gallery, at least locally, and they always have a couple of pieces there, and I have not had a solo show since I started this project. And I used to have one every couple of years. And for some reason with this one, I want it to come to completion and maybe... Next year might be the last year for the dig, and maybe not. But it's really my just my. I, I didn't set out to do this, but when I my work is complete about this dig, or the dig is complete at at some point, then I'll I'll pull it together. And Pat and I have talked about. Uh, Pat is the lead archaeologist on this uh, dig, Pat O'Grady. He and I have talked about having sh- a show together where he'd really talk about the archaeology and I'd show my work, which would really pull it all together. Thank you so much, Nancy Povans, for just telling me about pigments and art and archaeology and for the work that you do. Thank you. You've been listening to KLCC Media's The Oregon Grapevine, fresh pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live.